it comes to dealing with homeless encampments, cities and municipalities everywhere have a tendency to turn to the courts, right? Find out what they're legally allowed to do and what they can't do. Well, there was a new report out just this morning, actually, where they have done the first comprehensive study of these kinds of court decisions here in B.C., we wanted to find out what they found, actually. So Stephen Wood is with us, the Canada Research Chair in Law, Society and Sustainability and Professor at UBC's Allard School of Law. Stephen, thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. First off, what did you look at here? What did you examine? Well, everybody knows that homeless encampments on a government-owned land are the one of the most visible um, symptoms of the intersecting crises of housing, homelessness, poverty, toxic drugs, mental health, and colonialism. And we also know that often the governments end up turning to the courts for orders evicting or clearing those encampments from public land. Um, and usually they get those orders. We know that um, most of the time, uh, the courts are eager to oblige and uh, issue these orders evicting uh, encampments, uh, which, you know, are for understandable reasons. Uh, but one of the problems is that this takes the pressure off uh, governments at all levels, from municipal right up to the federal government, to sit down with the real experts in this area, people experiencing homelessness themselves, to work towards lasting solutions to these crises. So what we didn't know, though, is exactly how eager the courts are to oblige when they're asked for orders evicting these encampments. And that led to the research. Uh, we looked at every single court decision in B.C. this century, so since 2000, where governments have asked uh, the courts for an injunction uh, against a homeless encampment on uh, government-owned land. And the results really shocked us because it was even uh, sort of more lopsided than we expected. What do you mean lopsided? In what way? Well, in the, so in all of the cases that have been decided uh, in this century, the courts have granted injunctions against residents of homeless encampments in 75% of the cases overall. You've got to understand, injunctions are supposed to be extraordinary and drastic remedies that are issued when there's really no alternative. And actually, the 75%, even though that's already a high number, it was even higher if you look at a particular type of injunction known as an interlocutory or preliminary injunction. That's where a uh, complainant goes to the court asking for an injunction before they've even proved their case, basically to get the remedy while they're waiting for the case to go forward. And the governments routinely do that in the case of homeless encampments. And when they do that, they actually have an 85% success rate. So in 85% of the times that governments go to courts for injunctions, usually to evict the encampments, uh, before they've even had to prove their case, marshal all their evidence and arguments and so on, they win in 85% of the time. Uh, and that is, if you compare a few years ago in 2019, there was a report came out about injunctions against 
First Nations uh, involved in disputes over resource extraction on Indigenous territories. And that report found that those uh, had a 75% success rate. When you're dealing with uh, homeless encampment residents, some of the most vulnerable and marginalized members of society, um, to see that the rate of uh, these preliminary injunctions against them is even higher than that is cause for concern. You know, that report back in 2019 raised a public outcry from coast to coast to coast about how lopsided that was. And this is at least as lopsided, if more. Right. Okay. But why do you think that is, though? Like, if that's if that was unusual and if it looked unusual when the court started doing this, what was the precedent there? So why did that happen? Well, I mean, it's hard to say why it happened because we can't get inside the heads of the judges that are deciding these cases. But what you can see if you look at these decisions is that almost systematically the courts have uh, weighed in on in favor of the government complainants in terms of their presentation of the evidence uh, and have really not weighed the evidence um, brought forward by the encampment residents and their lawyers when they have lawyers uh, in the same way. Evidence, for example, that the housing that the government says is available is really not practically accessible to many of the people who find themselves sheltering outdoors for a variety of reasons. Evidence that the encampments themselves provide benefits of safety and stability for encampment residents that are actually more beneficial to them than the alternative of either living rough on the streets or, in many cases, even being in shelters or single-room re- uh, occupancy hotels. And there's various other things, too, that the, where the, the courts have just um, weighed the evidence uh, in a what I consider a lopsided way. Okay, so what are the consequences of this then, Stepan? When if if the courts do this time and time again, and this is a relatively recent phenomenon, then does that set the tone for what decisions will be in the future? Well, it may or it may not, but um, I would say there's two big consequences. One is just the immediate consequence for the people who are affected. Um, these injunctions almost invariably evict encampments. And you really have to understand what that means is people are being removed from their homes. They often lose many or most of their belongings in the process, and they are dispersed to the streets and alleys and corners and uh, um, you know parklands of towns and cities around the province. Uh, so that's, one, that's a very uh, immediate impact. The second impact is that it just literally kicks the problem down the road um, and uh, temporarily takes the pressure off all levels of government to uh, really look for lasting solutions. But and actually, there's a third thing, which is that um, I'm not sure that this is necessarily a pattern that will continue to the future, because actually, just in the last couple of years, the courts have started to show signs of a different approach, recognizing really the futility of just repeatedly issuing these re- injunctions. And um, in a recent decision 
here in Vancouver uh, related to the encampment at Crab Park, which uh, many people will be familiar with. Mm -hmm. A judge said, uh, I'm not going to issue the injunction to uh, clear this encampment because it's just going to continue this whack-a-mole exercise. Uh, It will appear somewhere else. And in fact, wherever else it appears might be an even less appropriate place than Crab Park is, given its relative separation from, you know, uh, dense residential areas. Um, And also that, uh, you know, the courts have begun to recognize that um, these uh, homeless encampments are also an issue of colonialism and reconciliation because Indigenous people are disproportionately represented Mm -hmm. in the precariously held population and in homeless encampments uh, and uh, evicting them just sort of continues these cycles of what they experience as sort of colonial violence and dispossession. Seven, thank you for explaining that to us this morning. Well, thanks for having me. That's Seven Wood, Canada Research Chair in Law, Society and Sustainability, professor at UBC's Allard School of Law. They did a comprehensive study, the first of its kind, to look at court decisions involving homeless encampments in BC and about which way those decisions went. They were surprised by their findings about how courts would often, um, you know, move along those homeless encampments where cities and towns and municipalities were often granted the orders that they were looking for.